episode is sponsored by Millibooks. Search for author Erika Deary in your favorite online bookstore. For indigenous peoples, languages not only identify their origin or membership in a community, they also carry the ethical values of their ancestors. The indigenous knowledge systems that make them one with the land and are crucial to their survival and to the hopes and aspirations of the youth. Mini de Gallen. Hi everybody, welcome to the Bilingual Book Club. This is a space for parents, carers, and teachers to discover bilingual books. I'm Erica Deary, and in this episode, I will be interviewing Reynaldo Mora, who is an author who is a Mexican-American and has written and illustrated a beautiful counting book, which actually is not bilingual, it's trilingual. So I'll tell you a little bit about Ray. Reynaldo Mora is a figurative artist with extensive experience creating fine art with acrylics, chalk pastels, oils, photography, and mixed media. He is also a ceramicist. The source of inspiration for many of Ray's art pieces come from the cultural wealth that he inherited from his Mexican ancestors. The theme that most resonates with Ray's artwork is movement, because he feels that there is life, progress, growth, and learning in movement. For him, hummingbirds are an important symbol of that movement. Ray has a bachelor degree in studio art and is currently earning a master's degree in ceramics. Ray is a co-founder of Skillful and Soulful Press. His first published illustrated children's book, Mommy Tell Me Why I Am Radiant, won two International Latino Book Awards. And his trilingual book written in English, Spanish, and Nahuatl received two Purple Dragonfly Book Awards. He lives, works, and plays in Whittier, California. Ray, welcome to the Bilingual Book Club. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow, this is very interesting. I think you have my dream job, <laughs> which is being an artist. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think um, I have uh, many friends that I grew up with in our childhood, and they're all um, uh, mortgage brokers or attorneys. And so they seem to think like this is a dream job, but this is a, you know, it's a labor job. It's still a job, yeah? Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get into art and then into writing children's books? Um, well, that's an interesting question, just because um, I'd have to go all the way back to like my preschool era. I think that's where I remember like the first moments of, of this, like um, this, just this magic where I kind of lost myself in creating art. My, the preschool teacher at the time, she gave me a paintbrush with water and to draw on the wall. And the water created like different values of, of shades of, of gray from the wall. And before I knew it, like the time had disappeared and it was time to go back into the class. And I was the only one there. All the other kids were playing or, or running back into the classroom. And I was just, you know, time elapsed and I lost myself in that process. And ever since then, I think that's what happens to me when I'm art creating art is I, I get lost in the process. And it's definitely been like a uh, cathartic experience too. When you create art and you get lost in it, it's, um, that's why I do it. It's, it's very, um, it helps my mental health. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It puts you in a state of flow, right? Like, because I have yes. the, the same when I'm illustrating my books and I'm just writing or something. It's like, you just forget time, forget everything. So yeah. Yeah. 
Good. So um, you were born in the U.S. and mm -hmm. then your parents immigrated from Mexico. Yeah, um, they were they were from Michoacan, Mexico. Yeah. So um, and there was nine of us, so it was a large family. I'm one of two that were born here in the U.S. and in the Los Angeles area. And um, all my other siblings were born in, in Michoacan, Mexico. And um, yeah, so. That must have been um, a really, really crowded household. Um, oh, it was a one bedroom, small house. I mean, sometimes we had to sleep outside because it was so crowded. There was no room on the floor, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, you mentioned about like art. So how did you come up with the idea of writing um, the the accounting book? Um, well, part of uh, what we do as a, a spiritual personal practice is we do Aztec dancing. So, and that's actually how Sandra and I met through a Aztec dancing um, practice. I, I kind of knew of different groups and I went to practice with her group and I saw her across the way and I was, you know, love at first sight, I guess. Yeah. And um, so part of that practice is um, the Aztec dancing is a practice of the Mexica people of Tenochtitlan, which is Mexico City. And um, their language was Nahuatl. And so that um, learning how to count in Nahuatl is something that we do because the movements that we practice are, you know, we count them. They're... There's a, there's a, numbers are sacred in, in the movements. So when you're, when you're counting your steps there, each, each dance, each movement has like a certain number of steps. So we learn how to count in Nahuatl that way. Oh, wow. That is super interesting. Yeah, I, used to be, I used to belong to like a Mexican dance group and we did that, that the dance like Concheros, which is like probably the most uh, closer to the Aztecs, so although probably is not. We just counted in Spanish, but there was no that, um, I guess, that spirituality in the numbers. So why are the numbers, um, like, sacred? What, like, do they have a meaning behind it, or what's the, the story? Well, it's, it's a way to keep track of, of seasons, for one, because they were in a, it was an agrarian society. So, uh, of course, keeping track of the days that go by, when to harvest, when to plant, when to expect the rains to come. And, um, and also it was a way to um, denote like special occasions. And in, there's this like growth, this system of, of, of paying attention to like your progress as, a, as an individual walking on this earth. And like 13 is a sacred number, um, mainly because it's, it's um, there's a lot of like na natural associations to 13, but when you're looking at our personal growth as a human on this earth, the, the Mexica people would um, see the, uh, our process as like the four cycles, four cycles of 13, which were like the most important in our development. Like between zero and 13, that's your survival um, cycle. So your, your survival your, is dependent on somebody else, like your mother, your parents, your family members to take care of you when you're younger. Then as you get older in that cycle, you slowly start to develop your own, your survival is dependent on you. And then the next cycle is um, your identity cycle. 
And I think if you look back to like our, your own personal development between um, 14 and 26, that's when you're learning and questioning a lot about yourself and your place in the world and in your society and your family. So that's, that to me makes sense. And then the, from 26 to 39, that's another cycle of 13, right? There's where we start working on relationships. And then, uh, and for me, I was like, you know, there's, that makes sense because in my early twenties and my teens, um, I'm like trying to figure things out and it, and it doesn't make sense to develop like a, a strong, like either a romantic relationship or relationships with other people that are gonna be long lasting just because um, you know, you're work focused on your identity and like you're, you're one, you're, you're working on maybe but for me, it was insecurity issues, learning about my culture, learning about um, um, even politics during that time. My that, that kind of formulated my identity. And then the relationship period, it makes sense because you're, you, as a man, you know, they're, they're finding, even scientists right now, they're finding that our frontal lobe isn't fully developed till between 30 and 35. So it makes sense because we make poor decisions up until then. <laughs> I'm 45 now and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I've made it this far. And I can imagine like, oh, the, the poor choices I made when I was much younger. But, um, and then now at 45, I feel like um, much more at peace in the world and, and my place in the world as well. So what was the first year to 13 is survival? 13 first, yeah, first cycle of 13, huh? Yeah, 13 to 26 is what again? 13 to 26 is identity. Identity? It makes so much sense. Like it, it yeah. resonates so much. And then 26 and then to relationship. relationships. Uh -huh. And what is the last one? The, well, the fourth cycle is, um, it really doesn't end because you're, you know, you could go on for. As long as you end, live. Yeah. As long as you live, exactly. Where you're building relationships and you're building things that are going to outlive you. So that you know how, um, there's, um, we have um, El Dia de los Muertos or, or we have ceremonies like that where we put people that matter to us in our life on an altar and remember their, their, their value to us in our society or, and what they brought to our family or to our society. Well, during that period is when you're working on being worthy enough to be remembered. You know, we're, we're either establishing like schools or or what organizations or anything that's going to outlive you because um, part of the, what the Mexica people were, um, what I've learned and through our practice is that we're all here for a short time. And what's important is what we leave behind. You know, we have to do the good work, the good deeds, help others so that when we leave this earth, it, we leave it in a better place than when we got it. So that's kind of like, that fourth cycle, you're supposed to be getting ready to leave something better than than you started with behind. Well, that is so beautiful. And yes, it does kind of line up with, um, I guess, psychology theories and things like that. And then Mexica's had it all along. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we learn this in school? Well, we'll learn about the, the Aztecs and the that's, that's, that's maybe for a, a storyline for another book. That's a, the, yeah, that's a completely yeah. different one. So how did oh, yeah. you get into learning about um, the Mexica culture? Is this um, 
because you started doing this dancing mm -hmm. and, and that yeah. piqued your interest? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for the question. And it's it was basically because of that. It, there was uh, this desire in me to reconnect to an some kind of indigenous practice. My family, my, my grandmother, they spoke um, their Purepecha uh, from the state of Michoacán. Yep. And, you know, they somehow lost that connection, coming, especially coming to the U.S. because my parents, hardworking people, and there was a lot of us, so they had to focus on working, you know, trying to make ends meet. So uh, having a spiritual practice or an indigenous practice wasn't like at the forefront of, for them because, you know, it's understandable. We, you know, and now as an adult, I'm like in that rat race and I can see how you can get lost a little bit just trying to go to work and you get into the cycle of like work, sleep, food and bills. And, and um, so um, as an artistic youngster, I had that interest in trying to reconnect to something greater than myself. And in, in LA, there was, there's a lot of, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of um, different Aztec dancing groups. And so I just kind of gravitated to the drums and, and that's what they say, you know, the drums call you, the drums are like a connection to your heart and your heart beating yeah. and it brings you in, into dance and that's what it did. Oh, fantastic. It, it, it's so interesting to learn how sometimes there's this one thing that resonates with you and you're drawn to it and it can open a big door of like possibilities. So oh, yeah. that led to your book. So let's talk about your book. Um, what is your book called and um, how, how did well, you decide to make it trilingual? Well, the book is called, um, let me see if I can hold it up. It's called Hummingbird. Colibri and Wisisich. Wisisich is the, um, is, uh, well, hummingbird, of course, English, Colibri is Spanish, and then Wisisich is um, uh, Nahuatl, but uh, it's a specific variant of Nahuatl, because in Nahuatl, there's, there's over 32 different variants of Nahuatl that are still spoken. And this particular one is used in the Veracruz region, is Huasteca Nahuatl. Yep. So it's still being used today. Very good. And why did you choose that particular variant of Nahuatl? Because it's um, more connected to an indigenous um, native speaking um, tradition. And um, the, the Nahuatl Clásico is kind of uses, it, it was written by like the friars, the Spanish friars, and it, they were trying to use their, their, their way of interpreting what the indigenous population was saying and using like uh, Latin-based uh, letters so that to, to write the words. And this, this one is still using the Latin-based letters, but it it's, makes connections to the different um, phonetic uh, pronunciations that the indigenous, uh, the native speakers use. So like, like we see speech is the way um, they say it. And like growing up, I, I was, when, before I started understanding the different variants, the Nahuatl Clásico is Huitzlin is how they say it in, um, in the Nahuatl Clásico. And we see speech is the way the Azteca Nahuatl is, they, they use that method. 
Wow, that is fantastic. So it's like it's the least tainted by the colonizers. Is that? Well, yes, yes. It's like a recovery, I guess you yes, could say. Yes, yes. <laughs> a recovery of that traditional practice of language. Mm. And yeah. um, like like um, my wife, I, you interviewed my wife, and and part of what we're trying to do is encourage multilingualism, not just like one language or two languages. And for me, part of what's important is to highlight that, hey, you know what, there was other languages being spoken here on these lands, on this continent, uh, before, you know, it wasn't like discovered and nobody was here. This was people, there was thriving cities, there was a, a whole metropolitan uh, indigenous city, and multi, they were using multi-languages, like they were speaking Maya, Mixtec, so many different languages. And Mexico has like one of the largest uh, collection of indigenous languages in any other, any country around the world. And we, you know, the, the Spanish is, is uh, one that's used for business and, and a lot of things around the world. But we, I'm trying to highlight indigenous languages so they don't get forgotten. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that is happening around the world, like obviously in Mexico, but here in, in Aboriginal Australia, some languages are also being lost. And yeah. there's, it's so good that there's people like you who are making sure to highlight them and, and remember, because they're part of our culture, you know, even in Spanish from Mexico, we use words from Nahuatl, like um, papalote is like one of my favorite words. And because it, it means butterfly. And I think um, the fact that we have, we open that those floodgates to, to children to realize that they're all the languages. And I have to say, I'm embarrassed that I did not know that Nahuatl had so many variants. And if you think about it, like, um, yes, it was such a big empire. And of mm -hmm. course, back then with the technology, they were going to change a little bit because Mexico is really big. And, you know, now we travel in the highway in eight hours, we can be in one state or the other. But back then it wasn't like that. It would be days, months. Yeah. And, and also the Mexica people were nomadic. Yeah. And the, the origin story is that they, they came from a mythological land called Aslan, which is in the north where America, United States is or in that, that, the prairie lands. And you can also find like some Nahuatl words spoken by the indigenous populations here in the United States too. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah so this is how big the Aztec Empire was. I and mean, it just like, you know, we speak English a little bit different in the US or a little bit different in Australia, because yeah. now the world is a bit smaller, but the same- Yeah, and, I, and I, don't, I don't know if, if Empire is the right phrase to use because empire is like a European thing, like yeah. the Roman Empire, but it was more like their influence and their movements when and also trade, trade between the the people of the north and trade of from people of the south as well. Like right. like the Mayan and the uh, even I think the Inca was where you could see like some of their um, art and sculptures were found in uh, around uh, um, Denochtitlan, the, the Aztec, uh, the Mexica people had a lot of, like they, they were art collectors, you know, like a lot of the iconography that they use, like, like Quetzalcoatl or, or um, the, like the Feathered Serpent wasn't theirs originally. It's mm -hmm. just when they came into the area, 
they they um, like the um, Teotihuacan is was uh, uh, people they were building pyramids like something like 500 years before the Aztec showed up before the Mexica showed up and so they used some of their influence to to build and create art in their city as well. Wow, that that is fascinating. I would love it if we would like if children in Mexico could learn like because it would focus a lot in obviously learning like Spanish because that's what like the official language, but then and English because America the US is like our neighbor and mm -hmm. we need it for business, we need it for better work opportunities. But I love schools to focus on learning indigenous languages because it's not just a history of this is what the Aztecs did and this is what the Mayans did and, and you have to repeat and learn the dates. It would be interesting to see if kids are learning it, but yeah, it would be really cool to, to have children say from Mexico City learning a little bit of Nahuatl in their school and making it part of the curriculum. Yeah, like in, in where you see like the, uh, the, the, indigenous practice of their language in, you can see that a lot in Oaxaca. Oaxaca is a state where they're encouraging to hold on to their native native language, their native tongue. And in there too, it's, it's so many different languages too. It's not just like one that's the dominant exactly. language. Yeah. Fantastic. So how, how did you go about the illustrations? What technique do you use? Because I was looking at the, the PDF you sent me and I'm like, how did he do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess the, like anything else, it starts with often an idea and ideas are, are created on a little thumbnails like this here. This is yep. our the storyboard to create the thumbnails. And then I'll, I'll draw it out a couple of times, you know, with different, uh, using different colors to kind of like say, okay, I like this about that or, or, or I don't. And then, um, and then what I'll, my final rendering is a watercolor. And I use watercolor, um, gouache, and color pencil. Fantastic. And, and then from there, we scan it digitally and we put it in a book layout. Wow. I noticed you put the little squares. Um, for people who are in YouTube, you can see. But um, in the book, I'm just going to describe them for people who are in, in the podcast very colorful very bright and each page has a you know the number and then one square so is that how they are represented in, um, in no number? this is this is um i know that there's different ways to represent counting in in the uh, mexica tradition or the codices it could be a little circle a dot and then and then it goes up from there like a circle a dot and a line underneath that's that means six because the line is five, five but yeah. i was just trying to create something that that would give like children something else to count well 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 at the same time it, it created like this um at the end you can see it created like this little pyramid and i was like oh that's kind of interesting so because the the mexica people were creating pyramids oh of course yeah so it's just kind of like a buildup of little squares to give the, the reader, the, the children to kind of uh, a focal point to count. So you can, you can count the hummingbirds and you yeah. can count the little squares that develop. 
Wow, I love it. Yeah, that's really good because you can get the child to just count them and then they can count them in either in either language, which is yes. really good. So why did you choose a hummingbird? Is this because movement is your thing and hummingbirds? Because one of my, I think they are my favorite animal. And if I was ever going to get a tattoo, it would be a hummingbird. So awesome. why did you choose that animal? Well, do you have hummingbirds in Australia? No, we don't. Yeah, yeah. The, the hummingbirds are of the Americas. You'll find them in South America, Central America, all the way up to Canada and Alaska. And wow. so they are a native bird to the Americas. And part of the Mexica or the Aztec people's mythological um, origin story is that Huitzilopochtli, which means left hummingbird, um, is the god of creativity, god of, of uh, war, god of... Um, different, like he represents different ideas and concepts, but he guided them to the South, traveling from the North where the U.S. is, down South to where Mexico City is. And so his guidance led them to Mexico City. And to me, it makes, it makes I'm making this connection that um, hummingbirds are also migratory. Like there's a rufous hummingbird that travels from Central America all the way up to Alaska and so and back and forth and so I'm thinking like the the Mexica people that were nomadic they probably followed the path of the hummingbird and came down to to where Mexico City is wow yeah it definitely could be possible that they followed you know everything their surroundings and all the animals around and yeah it could be yeah they, they were a very observant people you know, that's why they collected art from different cultures that came before them and, and use it in their practices. Right. Very good. Yeah, as I said, I, I love hummingbird and I love, because um, I think the Mayans also um, consider the hummingbird uh, like a messenger. And mm. I have a lot of friends who maybe have lost um, someone in their life. And if a hummingbird comes to them, as I'm from Guadalajara, so they come to them and they almost could have like this interaction with a human and, mm -hmm. and for them it gives them peace of mind. It's like, oh, maybe it was my abuelita or maybe it was my mom. And um, it's just a, such a sacred and beautiful animal. And at the same time, it's so small, so delicate, but so strong. So it's, it's funny you should say that because that was going to be my next thing I was going to say that there's always somebody, because I sell little, little um, paintings of hummingbirds. I'll, I'll create, um, sculptures of hummingbirds and there's every time i have a pop-up or a, a, a sale there's someone that makes this connection between a lost loved one and and how the hummingbird brought them peace they don't know if it was their spirit coming back and, and giving them um just the a peace of mind or, or helping their spirit to heal but that's the way they felt in with that interaction of between them and the hummingbird it was, it's a, it was a reminder to them that everything's going to be okay. And then um, the Mexica also, I got to go back to another story of the, the Aztec Mexica people, that they're, they believe that a worthy warrior and, and, and uh, a woman that passed, that, that passed away in childbirth were spirits who were worthy enough to come back as a hummingbird. Wow. So that was part of their tradition. Yeah. 
Wow, that's really beautiful. And yeah, it's so funny how people do that connection. And maybe it's something that has been happening from generation to generation to generation that we still talk about that, oh, I saw a hummingbird, like maybe it was the spirit of my mom or my my partner or something. And it gives you that peace, which is which is really nice. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they move around so fast. So they're agile. They they fly upside down and, and they fly in reverse. They're the only birds that could do that. And yet they're able to pause and enjoy the nectar of the flowers and the beautiful things that we, uh, we maybe in our fast pace we might take for granted like there's a beautiful flower there they, they actually pause and enjoy the nectar and they're also a reminder to us to to take time for ourselves and our mental health our spiritual health and enjoy the beautiful things of this world yeah amazing well, so thank you so much for this. This has been an amazing and in, you know interesting interview. I loved learning more about my own culture, my own country, and I think it's really good. Um, I love doing this in English because you know maybe people who who are listeners, I don't know, in Germany and they don't speak Spanish. I just love that we can showcase um, how amazing um, the Mexica were and and the vast culture that we had in Mexico many many years ago many years even before the spanish arrived so so yeah. so i'm i'm these board books these concept books will be highlighting in indigenous language so the next one will be otomi which was my wife's um, family's uh, original that language and then which is another uh, indigenous language in mexico and then the third one will be navajo and then we'll do quechua which is the mayan language so we're, the, the hope with these board books will be to highlight indigenous language. And um, also, I was just thinking, like, um, you mentioned about the, you like to have these interviews in English. And, and to me, you know, I'm, I, I speak both languages, you know, fairly okay, you know. I'm okay English, I'm okay Spanish, too. I'm sure you're okay in both. But growing up here in the States, you know, you you kind of were made fun of. My first language is Spanish because that's what we spoke in our household. And then by the second grade, I was already learning how to read and write in English. So that's where my, the rest of my education was in English. So, which is why I, I find it a little easier to express myself in English. But, um, but growing up, you know, we had parents or aunts, uncles who would make fun of you because you didn't, pronounce an English, a Spanish word correctly. So, you know, you're called a pocho, which I think pocho was like a derogatory term growing up, almost like an insult. You know? But now it's like, you know, these, uh, as an adult, now I kind of see through the veneer, you know, it's not, these aren't original languages of this land. So it's okay that we speak them poorly, you know, but it's, it, that doesn't mean that we should stop trying to speak them. Just like um, uh, I know my parents, part of the reason they didn't learn English, even though they've been in this country in the US a lot longer than I was born. And they, the reason they didn't learn English is because they were embarrassed to learn and to practice um, English. Because they felt like they were embarrassed to mispronounce words because in a way, that's what they were doing, um, kind of shaming someone that was mispronouncing a Spanish word. So for them, that, that 
not wanting to look foolish speaking Spanish or speaking Spanish poor, or speaking English poorly, you know, they, they didn't practice it. So they don't speak English. Mm. So for me, what I'd like to encourage is for everyone to make an attempt to speak a different language. It could be a third language. It could be an eighth language. You know, just speak it poorly until you become more, uh, till you become better at it. But that just don't, Stop practicing. Yeah, absolutely. And now that you mentioned that, um, you know, there's always in, in, in Mexico who has a relative in the U.S. and it's like their little cousin or uh, their nephew or something. And then they come from the, the U.S. and they have the accent, the mm. people gringo. And yeah, then, yeah. yes, we do. It, it, it's sad to say, but yeah, we do make fun of that. Or we say, oh, why are you, why are you speaking English? If you're Mexican, you should be speaking Spanish. And I have to say, maybe when I was in junior high school, I, I said that. And I have to eat my words because it's not like I can force my kids to speak Spanish yeah. and, and don't have an accent because they will have an accent based on the Australian English they learn. So I think it's very important to be conscious about not yeah. changing and people. And when they come to the States, they'll have an Australian accent. Or when we go to Australia, we'll have an American accent. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, and it, I think it's cool to have an accent. Like, it, it should be celebrated, not made fun of. But I guess back then, we didn't know any better. Let's go. Yeah. We move forward. Exactly. That's what that means. That what means Mexica Tiawi. Mexica, move forward. Oh, Yes. <laughs> there we go i think we should close with that so where can they find where can people find you on social media where can people find your books and if you also want to tell us where can they find about your artwork and your ceramics okay thank you um yes you can find me on art by ray ray mora ray is r-e-y and then you can i'm also highlighting my ceramic work in clay by ray which ray is also r-e-y And then um, through Skillful and Soulful Press as well. That's our publishing company um, Instagram account. And then, uh, and then I also have a website, so Fine Art by Ray, by Ray Mora. And awesome. uh, right there, I have like paintings, or if I have gallery showings, I'll, I'll show them there. Yeah, it was really good. Like I saw the, the 10 hummingbirds, and I'm like, I could have that in my wall. Like I do have that, like, that spread, you know? Okay. Yeah, like all, all the paintings in my, um, my uh my website they're they're sold they're someone has uh is they're living in someone else's home so oh very good very good <laughs> all right thank you so much it's been great having you and thank you so um, much can, can you say like uh see you soon in like um mexico or something uh, like that yeah um um and it means thank you for having me um Omateo means uh, that we acknowledge the dual energies and that um, and move forward. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank Bye you. Bye.